Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Have you ever noticed that certain people always have problems, drama, catastrophes, disasters? Well, drama is not a fact. It's an interpretation. In fact, two people can look at the very same situation and one person sees it as like scary and dramatic while the other person gets excited and sees opportunity. Recently, I took 10 of my girlfriends on a snowboarding trip to Park City, Utah. One of the days we, well, let's just say we mismanaged our time and we ended up in the middle of the mountain when most of the lifts had already closed down. The fact is we were having a blast and a completely mismanaged time and didn't realize that most of the lifts were shutting down. So I convinced a couple of my girlfriends to duck under the rope that said closed and ski down to the next lift that I knew was just a little bit closer to the run that we needed to get to to get to our house. We were staying like actually on the mountain. When we got to the next area and I could tell that the lift was closed and there was just one mechanic there kind of wrapping up duties and about to jump on his snowmobile to head back to the base of the mountain, I had this really exciting feeling coming over me. It was in that moment I knew, like, oh, this is cool. Now we've got an adventure on our hands. We would have a story to tell later that nobody was going to die, but this was going to be fun to figure out. Now, for some people, ending up in that predicament where you don't really have control over the situation would find that incredibly upsetting, a disaster, a drama. You've probably noticed that there's people in your life who make a big deal out of almost everything. They have a lot of drama. And people who have a moderate amount of drama always have a moderate amount of drama. And then there are those people, it seems like they have no drama. They have no problems, no dilemmas. Or at least if they do, it's no big deal. It doesn't bother them. I think that's because each of us interprets what's happening to us in a different way. And let's face it, drama and disaster and having problems That can become addicting for some people. Some people just get so accustomed to having a certain level of chaos in their life that it feels uncomfortable when everything is settled. They almost become addicted to the adrenaline and the attention and the thought process and the focus that's required to handle a drama, a disaster, a problem. By contrast, some people with very few dramas, very few problems, it seems, know how to backpedal and cut back on the chaos, and they just try to keep things more balanced. So what's the deal? Are some people luckier than others? Is it possible certain people actually are looking for chaos and drama? I think it's a little of both, but most importantly, we have to be aware of how we're interpreting situations and what we're getting from it. So you're either one of those people who likes a mild to excessive amount of drama, or You might be one of those people who likes saving others from their drama, trauma, disaster, catastrophes, problems. You are either the damsel in distress or the hero with a cape on. Maybe you fall somewhere in the middle, but I think by looking at this from two extremes, we'll all be able to be much more self-aware because our relationships should build us up. Like it should be a give and take. So just by being aware of how to be healthier and more giving in your relationships, I promise it will make for much more balanced relationships. So what's actually going on with these people who, it's weird, it just seems like one black cloud after another seems to follow them. And why is it that these people tend to attract really super positive people into their lives? 
people who want to save them from their black clouds. People like you who love to save the day, who love to fix people, who love to say, oh, I'm going to be that one person who cares about you. And I'm raising my hand right now. I, in the past, I'm a changed woman, but in the past, I've been that person because it made me feel good if I thought I could fix someone. But we all know you can't fix somebody else. You can be there to support them. But you can't fix another human being. But those of us who, you know, we're positive and upbeat and we tend to get sucked in by hero syndrome, feeling like we can put on our cape, swoop in and save the day. And true confession, that's kind of how I used to think of myself. I used to think, well, you know, I'm doing this really heroic thing. It's very unselfish. It's giving. It's helpful. And I would be generous with my time and my money and my energy and my emotion. And I would just keep giving and giving and giving without any expectation of something in return, except hope that that person would heal, be better. Maybe someday they would pat me on the back and say, thanks to you, I'm a different person. Now, I didn't know then that's what I was hoping for. I really like helping people. And I still help people, but I've learned how to better evaluate that, how to help people for the right reasons, not to fuel or feed my own ego or my own needs, but to help people for the right reasons. And I think I know where this started. When I was a little girl and we were growing up in Michigan, I had this really long walk home from the bus stop. I mean, I was a little kid, so in my mind, it feels like it was probably like 10 miles. I'm sure my mom will say it was like a block. But we lived out in the country and it was this long, long dirt road. And I just remember being a little kid walking home with my friends down that long dirt road to our home out in the middle of farm country. And on more than one occasion, I would find a wounded bird and I would scoop it up, bring it home. And I remember my mom letting me put it in a shoebox with grass around it and feeding it watered down cream of wheat. I don't know where we decided that was going to be good for a baby bird. I did this on like more than one occasion. I would bring home a wounded bird and we'd stick it in a box and and I would stay up through the night and try to get these little birds to eat their watered down cream of wheat. And my parents probably knew that these little guys weren't meant to survive, but I would get so invested in them and I would name them and care for them. And, and I'm sure you know how the story ends. Every one of those birds ended up with a burial, a proper burial in our backyard until I figured out I probably shouldn't intervene with mother nature. These were baby birds that were kicked out of the nest by their mother because they just, they weren't going to survive. And it wasn't my job, nor did I have the power or the experience or the know-how to save these wounded baby birds. But then as an adult, I found myself right back in that same pattern, collecting wounded birds. I had to really look inside and figure out why was I attracting these people to me? People who just seemed to always be coming up against the odds. It seemed like a black cloud was following them everywhere. Just bad thing after bad thing. Sometimes, yes, bad luck, but a lot of times just bad decisions resulting in even worse circumstances. And for whatever reason, I felt like I was attracting these people to me and then digging into their lives and investing myself and trying endlessly to turn their lives around. I really, I wanted it to change. I knew that it was taking attention away from my own stuff, my family, and there just came a point where I said, I have to figure out why I'm doing this. They were being attracted to me, but I'm obviously attracted to these types of people. And it's not a good thing because it's having a detrimental effect on myself, on my energy, even my confidence. Sometimes I would, you know, give people advice or loan them money and just really invest in their lives only to have them make the same 
poor decisions and poor choices and end up in the very same place. And then you start to feel angry, almost resentful, like, well, gosh, I'm helping this person. And here they are making this terrible decision again. And they're not taking any of my advice. So now I'm starting to get resentful because I've invested so much time. And I had to realize the responsibility was on me to figure out, number one, what was I getting from that? Like, why was I repeating this pattern of looking for people who, or at least being attracted to people who I thought had a little bit of potential, but also had this giant black cloud over them? And why was it I thought I could eradicate that black cloud? And what was I getting from it? And the idea of fixing them or helping them really excited me, not from the goodness of my own heart. I mean, I used to tell myself that's why I was doing it. But I have to now say, I recognize I was often doing that because it made me feel important to make somebody else feel important. And I know we all do that. Like, that's not a bad thing, right? But there comes a point at which it's it's not healthy anymore. And I knew when I got to that place because I was experiencing the fallout of too many people who, quite frankly, didn't want to get better. They didn't want to change. Or at least they weren't motivated to make a change. The one thing most of these people have in common is they lack the courage it requires, the motivation you need to make a change because change is scary and that requires courage. They were more comfortable with things staying just as they were. And eventually that fallout was just, it was too big not to notice that it had become something unhealthy, like even in me. And it was affecting my family and I was just giving too many people too much of my time, too much of my energy, too much of my resources to be able to justify it, you know? And I had to realize that there was something more going on than me just trying to be generous or helpful. There was a reason why these people who kind of everyone else had discarded had blown through so many other relationships. Why was I collecting them? It was something about me. That was the common denominator. As always, I want to make it perfectly clear, I'm, I'm not a therapist and I'm not telling you what to do. This program and the reason why I do these kind of podcasts is because I want to share with you how I was able to break the cycle in myself. And if that's useful for you, fantastic. This is about being a healthier, better you. The first step for me was talking to my therapist about it. Now, I didn't go in assuming that the problem was me. I actually went in there to kind of like have a third party who I could complain to. You know, I've got this person who I feel responsible for and this person just keeps sucking me dry. And that's why I always suggest if you're really smart and you want to hear it straight, get a great therapist because she just looked me straight in the eyes and said, what are you getting out of this? Like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And that was a pretty tough question to be able to answer. I, and, and I had to answer it honestly. I was trying to be the hero. There was obviously something I was getting from it. And once I realized that there was a problem and that, and that I had kind of enabled people to become dependent or codependent on me, that it was up to me to fix it if I didn't like it. So what I did was establish a measure so that I could assess for myself when this was happening in relationships and then what to do about it. Because I don't want you to think that like I break up with my friends if they have problems or issues or disasters. I have them myself like everybody does. I want to be there for people when that stuff happens. And I needed to figure out how to know if I was in an unhealthy tango with someone, someone who was feeding off of this kind of attention. So here are the questions that I learned to ask myself. And I hope that you will 
think about someone right now who's come to mind and ask yourself these same questions. What percentage of time is this person in a bad situation because it's just plain old bad luck? It's no fault of their own. Does this person continue to make bad decisions or self-sabotaging decisions and that's the reason why most often they're in a bad way? If you find yourself spending time supporting them, but they really have never or rarely give you support back. Whenever you try to stand up for yourself or create your own boundaries or ask for what it is you need, you kind of feel bad, kind of like you're being a jerk, like you're the bad guy. Do you often feel like you've done something wrong where logically you know you've done nothing wrong, you've actually gone out of your way to make it right? Do you feel like you can't quite put your finger on it, but you have to take care of this person and you're responsible for their happiness at all costs? This type of individual kind of expects you to step up and pay the bills or say you're sorry. They, they just really treat you as though it's your responsibility to take care of them. Is this person there for me as much as I am there for them? Has this person shown a pattern of getting better, making improvements, doing the work that it takes to change your mindset? Do I feel responsible for this person's happiness, their success, or, or the ultimate outcome? Does this person seem to rely on me to bail them out for everything, or at least emotionally, or mentally, or physically, or maybe it's financial? Do I tend to handle this person with kid gloves? Am I afraid that they'll be hurt or that I might make them unhappy? Do I feel responsible for their emotional state? Is this person eating up my emotional energy because now I'm worrying about them more than I'm worrying about things that I should be worried about? Do I see more potential and more greatness in this person than they see in themselves? Does it seem like this person almost enjoys having bad things happen or or they really thrive on the attention. Things that other people wouldn't even mention, they almost revel in the fact that they have something to be upset about. When I see that this person has texted me or emailed me or called me, is my first thought, what is it now? And then lastly, has this relationship gone to a place where I'm just, I'm tired of being the rescue crew? Hopefully you had one person in mind as I was asking those questions. And if you did, you likely already have your answer. The next question is, what are you going to do about it? How much are you willing to tolerate? How much are you willing to admit is your own doing? How much are you willing to admit you personally have been benefiting by being the person who is the hero, is the person who can step in and save the day? Once you have an honest assessment, then you just have to decide what you're going to do about it. I can tell you, I've had to change my ways because the fallout from staying involved in a relationship like that is deep. I mean, it doesn't often turn out well. Now, again, I'm not talking about someone who's fallen on hard luck and you want to be there for them. I mean, let's just be clear. We're talking about someone who has no interest in helping themselves. They, they really look to you to help them and not just you, but anyone else who's willing to step in and do this. Like this is a pattern and there's no change in sight. If that's the person we're talking about, what are you willing to do? I just wasn't willing to sacrifice my time and energy and emotion when I knew my family needed that from me way more than someone who wasn't going to change. And I had to figure that out for myself and I had to break up with a few friends. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do this. Number one is you just slowly stop rescuing them. You don't answer every phone call. You don't rush in and save the day. In other words, it doesn't require a formal breakup or even a conversation. 
It's just an adjustment in the way that you respond to this person. I mean, I have people in my life who I've been able to maintain a relationship with. They're still close friends, but they're not the kind of friend who I'm constantly trying to save. And yes, I have to keep myself accountable. It didn't require an uncomfortable conversation or like a big sit down. It just, it really required me taking a shift in my thinking. And I've got long-standing relationships that I've been able to shift in that direction. And in one situation, I actually had to kind of break it off with a friend. A friend who we had many years invested, but the pattern was clearly there. And I knew it wasn't helping her, and I knew it wasn't helping me. So how do we break up? I just had to say, I love you. I love you very much. I care about you. I believe in your potential. But our relationship has come to a place where I'm spending so much time worrying about you and and solving problems that you haven't even asked me to solve. It's it's really not your fault. But what I found is I'm giving this relationship and what's happening in your life way more of my attention and emotion and my focus than what's healthy for me and really what's healthy for you. So because I love you so much, I just I just think we need to take a break. And I know you're strong enough and you're smart enough and you're capable and I want to be the person at the finish line who's cheering for you. And I feel like for whatever reason, our relationship has gotten to this place where, I don't know, I'm, I'm just getting too much from trying to help you and I don't think that's helping you. And I would rather love you and help you from afar because I think that's healthier for both of us for right now. And we'll always be friends and I will always love you and I will always support you. And I hope that you can understand from my vantage point that this is really something I need to fix in myself. I need to do this for my family. And I think that was the healthiest thing to do for both of us. It was something that had become unhealthy in me too. And because she does care about me, we both took a break. And I can tell you, she is doing fantastic. Great things. A complete success. And she didn't need me to make that possible. But what do you do if that person is your spouse? And you don't believe in divorce. And you've got kids. And you're not quite sure how you got here. But now you're the person who keeps trying to repair your partner and you just know it's not healthy. What can you do about that? What can you do to change you? Because we know we can't change another person, but we can certainly develop some patterns and a scenario that makes change really exciting, something that people are motivated to do. You might wonder why that happens. Why would someone who loves to be the hero be so magnetically drawn to someone who wants to be saved? It's very much like that. It's opposites attract. And that's kind of how this unhealthy dance begins, right? So there's the person who loves to fix people. And then there's that person who feels like if someone's fixing them or at least giving them attention, well, then they matter. And the only way any of us get healthy is by just recognizing our part. So there's this need to want to fix someone and and be a good person and be the hero and be the person who everybody pats on the back and you know and to get the kudos and the credit when someone says, "Wow, I, I you know I I really have you to thank." There's there's that powerful force, and then there's that powerful drive that many people have to prove that they matter. Oftentimes, it stems from something that was missing in our childhood, like you had a parent or parents who were just emotionally vacant. They just weren't there. Or they were there, but you you were never good enough. They loved you, but you always felt like it wasn't good enough. You, you couldn't get their validation. Often that results in adults who are still seeking validation, who want to know from other people that they matter. Or maybe there was so much chaos and upheaval, trauma and scary stuff happening in their home 
that they try to recreate that in their own lives, not because they liked it, but because it was normal. Well, especially for those people who never really felt like they measured up, they weren't worthy enough or good enough, they're going to continue to look for that. They look for that in other relationships. You've seen this happen. And you can almost feel it when somebody attaches to you and their good or bad days are really dependent upon how you relate to them. Like if, if you didn't call them or if you didn't smile big enough when you saw them, you can just tell it's very upsetting and you feel responsible for taking care of them. Well, it's not that that individual is selfish or self-centered or needs the world to revolve around them. It's not that they don't want to give. They're just so consumed with having someone prove to them that they matter, that you've noticed them, that they're valued, that they forget other people have needs too. Here's the problem with that, is you can never fill that hole for someone else. If it wasn't provided for them as a child in our early development, then that's something you have to find on your own. And people can do that. I mean, people do it all the time. Some of the healthiest, coolest, funnest, most confident people I know have been able to turn that around like they grew up in a household where, you know, mom and dad weren't even there, didn't even care. I mean, crazy, horrific stories. But most of them will tell you they struggled with this. But you've got to be self-aware. You've got to know, like, where did that come from? Why am I acting this way? Why do I feel like unless this person associates with me or takes care of me or, or does something to prove that they love me or that I matter, why do I feel empty? Well, that's not because of that individual or the next one or the next one. It's because of something unfulfilled within you. So I personally believe that the very best way, the most effective way really is therapy. I mean, can you do it yourself? Sure. And I don't know, maybe you could, maybe you could set your arm yourself if you break your arm. But like, why would you? <laughs> Go to a doctor, have somebody who knows what they're doing, who can shortcut this process, help you figure this out. I am such a big proponent of therapy. And I think especially for those of you who are married to someone or in a serious relationship with someone who has these tendencies, I mean, you can call it codependency. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. But I can tell you that I've spent enough time being attracted to these types who want to be taken care of to recognize there are tendencies in our relationships, in these patterns, in these cycles where you know that's happening and it never ends well. So what do you do if that's who you're married to? What do you do if that's you? That's how you feel. You don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel like you matter. You don't feel like you are worthy. And you do feel like when someone isn't giving you the attention that you need that, you know, life isn't good. You're having a bad day. Everything revolves around and you define yourself through your relationships with others. Well, if you know that's happening, you got two choices here. You can continue living that way, which kind of sucks. You can try to fix it yourself by reading some books and being very self-reflective and getting honest feedback and wanting to change, or you can shortcut the whole process by getting therapy. And again, for some of you, you're in a relationship, a long-term relationship, a romantic relationship. Perhaps you're married or you've been dating your boyfriend, your girlfriend for 10 years. All you know is you love this person and you feel stuck. What I've described is your relationship to a T. What now? What do you do? Well, I wish I could tell you that it's, it's easy. It's not. But I can assure you this. It's worth it. And it's very possible. Both parties have to be willing to change. 
Both parties have to love and care enough about each other to make these changes. And anything worth fighting for is worth having. The greatest rewards of your life will come after a huge challenge. If you love each other, if it matters, don't give up. But I do believe the ultimate shortcut is to get your partner to therapy. You can't fix this. The same way you couldn't perform brain surgery on your partner. This is something you cannot fix. And I know what you're saying. My partner is not going to go to therapy. There is no way I'm going to get him or her to do that. No way. Well, then you've already decided for yourself that it's impossible. There's nothing I can do. If you don't think this is possible, you're right. But if you believe it is possible, you're 100% correct. And if you've tried and it hasn't worked, what's the answer? Try a new approach. Hashtag duh. Get your butt motivated to figure out another approach. First of all, nobody wants a finger pointed at them and to be told, you know, there's something wrong with you and you need to go see a shrink. You're all messed up. Like who, who wants to feel or hear or believe that about themselves? No one. So I always suggest to people that you start with you. You go to therapy first. If you think your partner needs to go, you go first. Figure out some of your stuff. It's much easier to then say to your partner, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm really working on being a better partner to you. And part of that process is just getting a better understanding of, of the way we relate to each other. And I would love to bring you in for a session because I know you'll be able to help me. Dun, dun, dun. And then you know what happens, right? Sure. They get a chance to talk. And then lo and behold, they start to feel better. They realize therapy isn't so bad. I've got somebody here, another party who will listen to me, help me make sense of these things. I mean, that's like the first step. It's just like, it's like exercise. People dread doing it until they actually spend the first five minutes getting their heart rate up and then they go, hmm, this actually feels pretty good. Therapy is just like that. I don't know why people are so afraid to go. Hello, somebody is paid to sit there and listen to you and help you make sense of things. But that first scary step is just going. So if you can make it less painful, perhaps take away the stigma by saying, this isn't about you, this is really about me. You might find they totally dig it. I'm, I just, I can't tell you how many times this has worked. So try it. What do you have to lose? You know, I mean, we just stigmatize therapy and I don't know why. It's going to the expert. It's having the intelligence and the self-respect and the motivation to go to the best, to do things right. I mean, I just don't get it. If you had a toothache, you go to the dentist. You don't try to fix it yourself or ignore it. And what's more important, your relationship or your teeth? So get over it. You've heard me say it 10,000 times. But can I just say this? Therapy is not for people with like issues or mental problems or people who are messed up. I mean, my experience has been that therapy is for people who are really happy and successful and smart and, and who want to go to the expert. In fact, the only really messed up people I know are people who it seems to me like they totally are scared stiff of therapy. So there's that. And now I'll just drop it. So can you address these things yourself? Can you make change and turn this around on your own? Well, of course you can. Why not? So I'd like to recommend some fantastic resources for you. The first is a book written by an anonymous author. How crazy is that? In fact, you can't even believe how many outrageously positive reviews there are on Amazon for this book. It's called, this is a really harsh title, but it's called Psychopath Free 
recovering from emotionally abusive relationships with narcissists, sociopaths, and other toxic people. Wow, that is a pretty heavy title. And the author is listed as, quote, Peace, P-E-A-C-E. It's literally written by someone anonymously. And the reviews on it are fantastic. I've only read excerpts of it. I haven't read it in its entirety. But I can tell you an author who is phenomenal at addressing this issue. His name is Henry Cloud. And what I love about his writing is there is definitely a spiritual or Christian undertone to them. Two of my favorite books from him are Necessary Endings for employees, businesses, relationships, and all the things that we have to give up in order to move forward. The second one is called Safe People, How to Find Relationships That Are Good for You and to Avoid Those That Aren't. Bottom line is there are resources out there. The most important thing that you can do is work on yourself, really be self-aware and understand that this is a process. And for many of us, the way to go to the next level to really experience some happiness and relief and focus on the things that are important is by becoming self-aware and just making a slight shift in the way that we think and the way that we interact with people and really just wanting the best for other people, people who we love, people who we want the most for them. We have to believe they have everything within them to do these things themselves. Now, this requires confidence and that's where I come in. This program is supported by the Courageous Confidence Club. To sign up for one of my free webinars where I break it down for you, I teach you exactly the steps you need in order to build more confidence, please visit my website at CourageousConfidenceClub.com. Until we have a chance to spend some more time together, I just want you to know I adore you. You're like totally amazing. And you are one of the people who I enjoy spending time with. You don't suck the energy out of me. You fill me with energy. You fill me with joy and purpose and passion. And for that, I want to tell you, you are the bomb.com.